Good morning, everyone. The Mary Griffith Show is underway, brought to you by Harvest Ridge Coffee, a fine refreshment services Pepsi product. Now, earlier this morning, they announced they're coming out with marshmallow-flavored Pepsi. It's Pepsi Peeps, back in time for Easter. I don't know if I'll get a Pepsi Peeps to share, but I do love, they brought me Pepsi Mango. Oh, that stuff's good. So anyway... Uh, Every time there's a new refreshment services Pepsi product, I do expect delivery right here to the Mary Griffith Show. It works out pretty great that way. Uh, We've got our favorite guest, but she can't be here today. She's she's uh, she's heard about our survey about how people are more satisfied when they work at home. And so Laura Sievert's working from home today. Good morning. Laura Sievert was a sick kid today. I'll tell you what. (laughs) What are you going to do? That's. It's mom life. It's mom life. Absolutely. Wouldn't know anything about it. But you know the great thing about it is you're going to tell us all about everything that's happening. And this is exciting. Uh, The Underground Railroad home of Dr. Richard Eels is going to be open for an open house this Sunday. And there's no better way to celebrate Black History Month than by learning the daring stories of not only the slaves who escaped, but the intrepid people who hid them. And uh, there's a lot of heroic action to go around, so tell us all about it, please. Yeah, the Dr. Eels Underground Railroad site is um, one of the most um, uh, poignant, I think, in Quincy, and one I like to go to um, frequently and and take visitors to. Um, As you said, um, it's one of the Underground Railroad sites that are known in Quincy, but there um, are probably um, many others that we don't know about. Um, and uh, it has an amazing story. We're basically a doctor and his wife from the East Coast wanted to be on the front lines of the fight against slavery, um, and they were they were um, abolitionists, and he set up shop right here just a couple blocks off the river um, as a, a bit of a front to, to help people. Um, it's uh, unknown how many people came through the house. I, I've seen estimates as high as 200 people, um, but, of course, anybody coming across from not just Missouri, um, which uh, was a slave state, but also any place south of Missouri, like uh, Arkansas, um, could have come up through the Mississippi River and through Quincy. Um, you'll hear the story of, of Charlie, the uh, the escaped enslaved person from um, Monticello um, that um, ended up uh, uh, coming to Quincy and being the reason that Dr. Eels got caught. Um, it is um, interesting to, to know that um, years and years later, um, in something like 2012, Dr. Eels and other abolitionists like him were actually pardoned by the governor for their role um, in um, in uh, helping uh, escaped slaves go to the Underground Railroad. So really um, terrific story, and the annual celebration at the Dr. Eels house is terrific to um, to kind of take it up a notch because there will be, there'll be songs, there will be refreshments, there will be Dawson's. I think people will really enjoy it. Yeah, Helen Bunbury and yeah, Helen Bunbury and Met Morris will be there, uh, singing songs and telling stories. I assume Met's singing the songs and Helen's telling the stories. That'll be a great way to go. (laughs) And again, that's one to four. It's an open house style, so um, you know, just come come as you are whenever you're you're ready to come down. Um, And it's right off Jersey Street, um, uh, down off of Fourth and Jersey. Yeah, four fifteen Jersey Sunday. From one to four, if you've never been inside the home, the restoration work is uh, remarkable. And this is an, a really key stop in Quincy's history. So let's all celebrate it Sunday afternoon, anytime. Stop by from one to four at 415 Jersey, the Dr. Eels home. Also on Sunday, as soon as the uh, open house is over, 
You can head over to the Crossing Church at 929 Monroe Street because there's going to be a special Sunday music series that's not at the Unitarian Church, but is at the Crossing Church at 4 o'clock this Sunday afternoon. That's right. Um, This is a special, another Black History Month celebration, um, and they're calling it the Caring Culture Community Choir. Um, And uh, this is um, a choir put together for Sunday Music Series to really commemorate Black History Month and um, celebrate spiritual music, um, including um, songs from the motion pictures from Harriet Tubman, from The Color Purple, from The Quest of Camelot, and some contemporary Christian music. Um, solos will be provided by Coretta Sykes, who's just an amazing soloist, um, and they've got a real diverse concert that's really supposed to be about unity and coming together and, and celebrating Black History Month um, as, a, as a community. So um, that's going to be at 4 o'clock at the crossing at 9th and Monroe um, this Sunday. And it is free. We want to make it is free. everybody All know. music series is always free, yep. Everybody, it's always free to go to the music series, and this is going to be a special one. Okay. There's so much going on uh, coming up. The Quincy Symphony Chorus will be performing on March 4th. Uh, so mark that on your calendar. And this, uh, the chorus, it's, it's a color pops concert. Uh, all those songs have something to do with a color, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun one. I, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, anytime you're seeing a, seeing a pop concert, I'm 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 here for it. I love good <laughs> pop concerts. Um, and um, uh, you know, Quincy Symphony has had such a great anniversary season um, that uh, you know, check out everything left on the on the calendar because it's it's really been um, above and beyond. And, and you know, we are so lucky to have the quality of ensembles here in Quincy. You know, I talked to a lot of leaders around the state, and they they just can't imagine that we have a symphony and three different bands and an opera company and a terrific community theater. So anytime you have the chance to go check out Quincy Symphony Orchestra, I hope you do. Uh, Tickets for 18 and under are always free, which is a nice way to make a real affordable way to spend some time with your family. Um, And, yeah, I just highly recommend it. Okay, and everybody sweep off your front stoop. Get the the sidewalks and the streets looking great because dignitaries are coming next week. Uh, from the Illinois Arts Council. We talked about it last week, but just give us a brief recap because these are the big guns that have the big bucks that are coming to Quincy. (laughs) That's exactly right. We're looking forward to to welcoming the leadership from the Illinois Arts Council. Um, We've got uh, uh, Joshua Davis, who is uh, the executive director. Um, We've also got Nora Daly coming, who is the new board president for the the, um, Illinois Arts Council. And M.K. Pritzker is scheduled to be here as well. So, um, along with program staff and, and the vice uh, vice president as well, so of um, of the IACA. So, you know, we're just looking forward to making the case that um, that Quincy shouldn't be overlooked in any of the funding conversations, particularly as it pertains to big capital spending. So, um, you may know that we got that 1.5 million dollars to put an elevator into the history museum, but we have other big projects on the horizon too, including Quincy Children's Museum and um, and the Washington Theater. So. You know, if there's money out there to be had, I want to make sure Quincy gets a piece of it. So we are um, bringing these folks here to show them around and show them what makes this community uh, a really amazing, creative place. We're looking forward to it. Laura Sievert, I hope your kiddos get well. Thank you for always being an integral part of Wednesday mornings on the Mary Griffith Show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It is 926. We'll talk with a local jeweler about certification she has received right after this. We're back at 928 Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sarah Davis is here. She has been awarded the Graduate Gemologist Diploma, 
And uh, I don't know what that means, but we're going to find out all about it. Uh, She works at Emerald City Jewelers, and uh, she, like me, has a mother who's very proud of her (laughs) and uh, instigated this whole appearance on the Mary Griffith Show. So this is not Sarah bragging about herself. This is the owner of Emerald City Jewelers wanting us to know that not only does she hire her kid, but her kid is fully trained to do the job. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. Good morning. Let's talk a little bit about you first before this uh, honor you've received. You've earned it. It wasn't given to you. had to mm-hmm. earn it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you chose to go into the family business. Tell us about the rest of your life, uh, how you decided to come to that, and a little bit about yourself personally that you'd like to share with us. Well, sure. I, of course, it you may think it was, you know, a track of my life that would have, you know, kind of been expected with my mom being in the industry, but I actually went to Iowa State University and got a bachelor in fine art, and my emphasis was furniture and textile design. So it was on a large scale, but still in the design realm, and it actually is the degree that my mother holds as well from Iowa State University. Um, but then after uh, college, I came to Quincy to kind of work after college and I ended up working for my mom for three years and after that I was I got married and moved to St. Louis and um, when I moved to St. Louis I didn't really have an idea or a track of where I wanted to go and it was my mother's 25th anniversary with her business and she ran a commercial that talked about my brother being in the business and I wasn't mentioned so it was kind of a wake-up call for me, like, I've been moonlighting for her for I don't know how many years. <laughs> and uh, about time I got my proper <laughs> notice. And so it was kind of a turning point in my life. And at that point, I applied for a scholarship with the Gemological Institute of America and was a- awarded a scholarship to pursue my degree in gemology. Well, that's great. So you followed in your mother's footsteps in many ways, going to Iowa State, mm-hmm. getting a degree that is not in jewelry making or in mm-hmm. gemology, and, and and kind of experiencing your creative side. And so we'll talk about that. But first, I want to talk about uh, this uh, award you have received. It's not really an award. You earned it. a certification. Mm-hmm. You had to work hard for this. Uh, it says here that you'll be able to grade and identify gems and colored stones and diamonds. Mm-hmm. So we've all seen jewelers with that little jeweler's loop, that yep. little yep. special magnifying glass. Many of them have built it right in into their glasses. I looked down at my diamond wedding ring. My husband assured me it was a diamond. I wouldn't know if it was moistenite or came out of a gum jar, <laughs> but uh, gumball jar. But um, I'm, a, I'm assuming it's a diamond. It's been held up pretty good. But there are so many things. A diamond is a diamond is a diamond. But there's even cut, color, clarity. I know a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So talk a little bit about why it's necessary for you to get this kind of training. I mean, when I go to Emerald City Jewelers and I buy a diamond, it's not just a diamond. I could say I want to spend $1,000 and you could show me a wide variety of things Mm -hmm. based on the pureness of it, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. So uh, diamond is graded on the four C's. We've all kind of been familiar with the four C's, but to elaborate on that a little bit more, you know, your cut is obviously how well it's cut. Is it cut from an excellent cut or is it a poor cut? So if it's not at the right dimensions or the right proportions, it's not going to reflect that light back to you in the best way possible. And then um, we've got 
uh, color. So the color grade is based on a scale from D to Z. And um, it was GIA that developed the grading scale on the color scale. And they kind of eliminated the A, B, and C colors because before that it was, you know, similar to how gemstones are graded. There's an A quality, and a double A quality, or a triple A quality. And to kind of eliminate any confusion on base on the prior color grades, they just started the color grade with D. So D is the non-existence of any sort of color in a diamond and all the way to Z. So D would be preferred, I would assume. It's much more rare. Much more rare. Mm -hmm. It may not be preferred because we have chocolate diamonds Mm -hmm. now that are brown, which probably in the old days was like, ugh, what are we going to do with all these crummy old brown diamonds? Mm -hmm. I know, I'll hire a marketing specialist. Exactly. We'll call them chocolate (laughs) diamonds. And they'll absolutely fail the color, uh, but we'll we'll create a new thing that says brown is good. So again, yes, they have made uses for some diamonds that are other of colors. colors, yes. You know, we think about pink diamonds or yellow diamonds. Now, really, you would want the absolute most clear diamond mm-hmm. to be the perfect diamond. Yes. However, if I've got a 15-carat pink one, I'm not going to say, gee, that really sucks because 15 carats is big. So if I can find some way to make that pink diamond saleable, I'm going to do it. Well, actually, that's an interesting topic because pink diamonds are the most rare color of diamonds. Of course. Yeah, so um, unfortunately that mine that they come out of in Australia, the Argyle mine, has been closed, so it wasn't producing enough profitability, but so that will make the pink diamonds increase in value and rarity. Okay, so if you have a pink diamond, uh, don't give it to somebody you don't like in your will. Make sure it goes to somebody who's going to really enjoy it. Uh, My guest today is uh, Sarah Davis. We got a little bit off track, but you're learning how to look at a gem under the scope Determine if it's real, number one, mm-hmm. and then grade it. Cut, carrot, color. What's the other one? Clarity. Clarity. Okay. And that clarity has to do, again, with if there are imperfections. You know, an imperfection in a stone can, cannot be the biggest thing in the world because sometimes you can cover it with a setting or something like that. So, again. Well, and we we like to call them clarity characteristics. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an identifying factor. For your stone in particular, so you know you have your stone and, and it's like your a fingerprint. It's it's like fingerprint exactly, mm-hmm. and um, there are some inclusions or some clarity characteristics that are within stones that can be garnet or they can be shaped in different kind of fun ways. I think I've seen recently there was a um, clarity characteristic that was in the shape of a heart. So you you take that and you you make it you know a good marketing. Again, something that Mm -hmm. would be considered a fault Mm -hmm. under just the basic rules Mm -hmm. becomes something precious. I mean, I don't know if it's a fault or whatever, but I have this thing in my wedding stone that gives it a certain little extra sparkle, and it's a fault. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know it's a fault, but to me... It makes it, it makes it, it's kind of like two things coming together. I've made my own story up, you know, (laughs) to make it very valuable, but... So you are identifying things that are not supposed to be there and can devalue. But if somebody, if you find something that's shaped like Winnie the Pooh, (laughs) it is a fault, but it brings it into, you might be able to find somebody who really wants that. Because if you can see it, especially, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, without having to use a microscope, you'd be like, oh, isn't that cute? 
So you go to all this extensive training. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they throw a whole bunch of stuff at you, and you have to learn how to how to grade all these. One thing I've always wanted to ask: there are so many artificial mm-hmm. stones, gems yes. that are being created now. Uh, you can get a man-made diamond, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. Diamonds used to be considered kind of an investment, and that's why you kind of gave them as a wedding ring or an engagement ring, because I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. It's a long-term investment. It's expensive. I'm going to have to be paying on it for a while, but it's something that can be passed along. You know, a lot of people are wearing their grandmother's wedding ring, and it's just passed on, passed on, passed on. It gets more valuable as time goes on rather than less valuable, but now we've got man-made diamonds. So how do we, well, we can't tell the difference. You can. How do we tell the difference, and what is the difference from an investment standpoint? So um, the lab-grown stones, laboratory-grown diamonds, are new somewhat to the industry, and um, it's so much so new that the value for them is still so uncertain. So um, it's better if you're going to be purchasing a diamond to be purchasing on the EarthMind uh, diamonds. Get a real one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's still the same chemical composition as a diamond. I like to compare it as, um, you know, this diamond that is earth mined is literally billions of years old. It takes billions of years to make its way from the earth's crust and make its way, like, from the formation of the earth to break its way to the surface. And somebody has to mine it. And somebody has and to mine it. And we know that in years past there have been some problems, and many diamond companies have had to go, and they've had to make conditions much better because people mm-hmm. were like, I'm not going to buy that. Mm-hmm. That was almost slave labor that produced that. Mm-hmm. So there was a rarity to it. There was a, a diligence that it took, and it was something that only God could make. Mm-hmm. And then you guys figured out how to make it in a laboratory. So the fear was that my diamond won't be worth anything because the same thing that my husband slaved over and paid for to get me for my engagement ring, somebody can go out and buy for, you know, half price or whatever, and technically it is a diamond. It's technically a diamond, but there are um, ways to test for lab gro- laboratory-grown diamonds. Um, almost all laboratory-grown diamonds are type 2A, so diamonds also have kind of types and um, if it's a two-way, you know you need to send it to a lab to have extensive testing on it because then it's kind of like a red flag that it is a laboratory-grown diamond. Okay. Are they all clones of each other? In other words, this, you know, what is made by God is different. And like you said, mm-hmm. there's markers in there. You can tell. Mm-hmm. So when I take my stone in to be cleaned, I've had people say, I took it to the jeweler, and I know they put an inferior stone in. Well, you shouldn't be using a jeweler that you have any doubt that that would happen. That wouldn't happen in Emerald City. But... What, you know, if it's just, is it a clone? I mean, is it like my diamond's the same as your diamond's the same as your diamond's the same as your diamond because it was all made in the same test tube? Or uh, Not necessarily. Okay. So they use a seed crystal. So, like, the crystal is a minute piece of diamond, and they um, kind of use that as their So base. they have to have a real one to mm-hmm. start with. To start okay. with. And so they put it under high pressure, high temperature, because that is the, the environment that a diamond likes to be in. And high pressure, high temperature, and it just grows up and makes a larger crystal. It could take about a couple months, and you've got like a one-carat diamond. Wow. But it still has to be cut. 
Yes. Doesn't mm-hmm. grow like Right. No, it doesn't cut fully fast. It doesn't into a marquee. This is a princess cutter yeah. marquee. Yeah. So a stone cutter still has to cut it. Mm-hmm. And will it have, can it have faults in it? Can it have Absolutely. a Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're not so, perfect. I mean, they do come out a little bit better because their environment is controlled. But it definitely has clarity characteristics as well. So this is, um, we've got to take a break, but I want to ask you, in your opinion, like, for example, a one-carat diamond at Emerald Cities that's real, a good one, not, you know, just a good one, uh, maybe not the best, but a good one, something that you would be proud to give your girlfriend for her mm-hmm. engagement ring. How much would that cost compared to a man-made diamond? Sure. That's kind of a loaded question because the all the different factors that come with um, grading a stone with the cut, clarity, color, carrot. Um, but I would say you could save probably about 30% less as kind of a okay. an idea. So it's not that big of a I mean, it's 30% less. Mm-hmm. And you are getting a diamond. Mm-hmm. But you also, when you sell those, are you under any ethical obligation to tell people this was Absolutely. made? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes. you have to present it as a laboratory-made mm-hmm. diamond. Mm-hmm. And some people will still prefer. I remember when this first came up. Mm-hmm. There was this, well, why would anybody buy a diamond anymore? But first of all, it's not that much cheaper. And second of all, like you said, we're just not used to that yet. Sure. That may be common practice in hundreds of years, maybe whatever. But for now, real diamonds still rule. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Diamonds rock. <laughs> Her girl's best friend. Mm-hmm. Not to mention moissanite. We'll get into that yeah. in just a moment. We've got to take a break. We are back, and my guest today is Sarah Davis. She works for Emerald City Jewelers. She's a creative person there. And, of course, when you go into a jewelry store, you want creativity, but you also want to make sure you get what you're paying for, and that's why she's taken all this uh, education to become an international diamond and colored stone uh, certification for grading, identification, just fantastic. So many people think a ruby is red and, uh, I don't know, an opal is white and an emerald is green. And really, some gems can be any color. Again, they're very rare sometimes when they're colors. I still don't quite understand. When you look at something, what makes it a topaz as opposed to an emerald? What What's the difference? I mean, I know a Chihuahua's a dog and a Great Dane's a dog. <laughs> yes, and obviously, you know, there's a difference there, but they're both dogs. Mm-hmm. So, how, what makes a ruby a ruby and an emerald an emerald? It can't just be color. No, absolutely. So um, that's interesting. The corundum is the species. So like you talk about dogs, like dogs have different species. Gemstones also have species. So corundum is the species for ruby, but it's also the species for sapphire. And sapphire comes in every color, but the... More, you know, if it's in the red realm more than the pink sapphire, then it's considered ruby. So, so a ru- ruby is a technically a red sapphire, if you want to call so it that. So all rubies are sapphires, but not all sapphires are rubies. Yeah, you could say that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The sapphire, if it's red, sufficiently red enough, it's categorized as a ruby. Correct. And other colors look, kind it, of have the same makeup, the same DNA, but mm-hmm. they're sapphires. Yes. Okay. They're fancy colored sapphire if they're outside of the blue color okay Mm -hmm. um and rarity is what it's all about and of course that changes every decade or so Mm -hmm. because 
some stones that are very plentiful, all of a sudden they start to run out. And then are there groups of people that like watch this like commodities and they buy futures in emeralds or they buy futures in topaz or something like that? Well, the, the gemstone industry is very unknown. I mean, we have established mines for um, different gemstones and know where to find what gemstones, um, most of them in Africa or Asia and um, Australia, all kinds of even, places throughout. Even Arkansas has mm-hmm. diamonds. <laughs> and now um, Canada is now an up-and-coming mine for diamonds as well. Um, but um, as far as rarity goes with the gemstones, um, your color and clarity, and, and those all take a part in grading a gemstone as well. So a ruby that is eye clean without inclusions in the, in, within the stone is going to be much more valuable and rare than a um, kind of a commercial quality ruby that seems a little bit cloudy or milky. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you do get what you pay for, and that's why going to a jeweler is mm-hmm. so important, especially a family-owned jewelry store. Mm-hmm. All like jewelry stores that have been here in Quincy for decades. Um, do you worry? I mean, you taken all this certification and I think when you go into a jewelry store you should definitely look for that you know to make sure that somebody on staff is knows what they're doing Um, but who monitors your industry does anybody monitor your industry to make sure that in general people aren't selling counterfeit it I that would I don't think that could almost happen in Quincy it would get around too quickly but are there Places where, you know, I went to New York City and I got such a deal. I can't believe Emerald City was going to charge me X. I went to New York and I got it for a third of X. You might not have gotten what you thought you were getting. So are there problems in places? Unfortunately, there are. I mean, there are ways to, uh, like there's synthetics or uh, simulants that are made to look like a ruby or made to look like a sapphire, but its chemical composition is not the same. There's also treatments on a corundum, sapphire, ruby, or whatever, that may make the stone more vibrant and make it look more valuable, but in in turn, it's actually, you know, lattice-diffused. It's made with something to bring out that blue color, so it's deceiving in a sense, but um, all of that should be disclosed whenever you're purchasing anything, and that's something that um, us at Emerald City will make sure that we, you know, let you know what you're purchasing, the treatments that it has on it, um, any kind of added information about the stone that you're purchasing. If you're not buying it for an investment, if you're just buying it to wear around every day, you Mm -hmm. may say, I don't care. I want it to sparkle as blue as possible. And if you had to do something fake to that, even though it devalued it, Mm -hmm. that's fine with me. I'm I'm all about the cosmetic look of it. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Yes, that's absolutely fine. You sell them that. Yeah. So it's really whatever the customer wants. Absolutely. I mean, some people want the most giant, engagement ring mm-hmm. so that they can have a doorknob, you know, <laughs> to impress their friends. Sure. And the truth of the matter is, if you get enough problems with the doorknob, it can cost the same as a perfectly, a perfect half-carat diamond. You mm-hmm. can have a five-carat diamond and a half-carat diamond have the same cost. Mm-hmm. They will not be the same, you know, quality, mm-hmm. but some people don't care. Absolutely. If mm-hmm. size is your big go-to, and that's why I think some gems are very, very popular, aren't they? Because they you can get something really big. Some people would say almost vulgar, but you can get a real gigantico one for your finger mm-hmm. at a much less cost because it's not as rare. So bigness isn't, you're not paying for all that. Yeah. So, uh, so to kind of tag onto that, the aquamarine and a t- blue topaz, they look similar, but they have much different 
values in terms of in the retail um, world. So an aqua could be like the bright, vibrant blue, like real deep blue, but the topaz is, you know, like that color more commonly. But the deep blue of the aqua is a little bit more rare, which also in turn brings value. My favorite shows are these pawn pawn (laughs) shows, you know. And Mm -hmm. I used to love the one from Detroit. People would come in, I broke up with my boyfriend. I'm going to pawn my ring. I want to sell my ring. And uh, you find out it's not worth anything. He told me it was. Most people, I mean, obviously, when you're getting engaged, you don't want a certificate given to you the day he puts it on your finger. But for most people, when you buy something like that, the jeweler should give you some kind of certification, and you should tuck that away, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, I know, uh, and the reason I pushed my father to do this was because I knew I'd inherit them someday. My uh, mother got some earrings, you know, and uh, I I wanted them to be the best possible (laughs) for selfish Mm -hmm. reasons. But I have that documentation of what mm-hmm. it was paid for, uh, whatever, you know, your mother looked at it and said it was this, sure. this, 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 this. It's bought a long time ago, to over 20 years ago. So those are important things to to keep. Mm-hmm. And if somebody won't even offer that to you, that's a pretty good indication. You may not be getting what you think you're getting. Yeah. So the Gemological Institute of America, where I have my degree from, is a laboratory. Um, they have them all over the world now. But um, if a diamond is sent to their lab, three people have to agree on the grade without conversing. So if this number one doesn't agree with number three, they have to start over and do three more people. So it's, it's, they all have to agree to be able to, have, to come up with the same grade. So it's kind of an elaborate and extensive process to grade a diamond. And that's, you know, the, that's who I'm trained through is the Gemological Institute of America. So you can rest assured that I'm trying to, you know, do my best in grading just as they would in the lab. Okay. Yeah. It's fascinating. Anything else you want to add that I wasn't smart enough to ask you? Because this is quite an accomplishment. A lot of schooling went into this. Yes. You know, yeah. And I mean, again, you could have worked at Emerald City Jewelers without getting this certification. You're in the family business. Mm-hmm. But that just goes to show the standards that you want to keep. Of course. You yeah, know? So, it's um, not just like, I could work there too, but I'm not qualified to do anything. Yeah, growing up in the industry, I always knew the what. You know, I knew that that's probably an amethyst or that's that's probably a topaz. You know, I you know, I could figure it out that that's probably what that is. Um, but I wanted to know the how and the why and figure out, you know, is that really what that is? So, I mean, it, the, the process in me getting my graduate gemologist degree was, you know, it wasn't easy. It definitely took me six years to get it. <laughs> um, but it is something that I have, knowledge that I have that I will carry on forever. And now I know, you know, what element or what trace element makes a diamond yellow. So, And then what trace elements are within gemstones to give them the red of the ruby or the blue of the sapphire. It's amazing. Uh, I, of course, you have to have good eyesight, too. Of course, you are assisted. Really, like you said, there's to the naked eye standard, mm-hmm. and then there's under a microscope mm-hmm. standard. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, to the naked eye is good enough because, again, who's going to really examine mm-hmm. it? But if you're buying something for an investment purpose, you definitely... That's when it really gets down to, mm-hmm. you know, who's who's doing what. Yeah. Thank you so very much. Congratulations on your uh, honor and uh, this achievement. And uh, get back to work at Emerald City. Thank you so much, Mary. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Sarah Davis, my guest today.